Welcome aboard. This is Comparing Apples to Oranges, the podcast where we take two things that don't belong in the same genre, that belong in the same category, and using a special set of criteria, decide which one's better. Uh, I'm Mike, and with me today is... Liz Eckle. Hey, thanks for coming back. Yeah. Um, this is round two? Yes. Okay. Um, so Liz has a uh, popular podcast about romance novels, and... Um, I'm sure you would do other stuff when you come on this podcast, but I think that's just such a um, well that I have never dipped into that it's always good for me to uh, try new things. And uh, according to you, there's just an enormous amount of romance novels out there. So you're always yeah. willing to try new stuff because you, even though you've been reading for years, uh, and you're quite the prolific reader, there's just a lot of stuff out there, right? Oh my gosh, there's literally any kind of topic you could think of, there will be romance novels about that. Now, uh, we have our topic today, we picked media that has the mob, the mafia or the mob in it. I, those are interchangeable um, phrases, like, Especially, and then we're actually going to talk about they, they just identify them as gangsters today too in one of the in the movie we watched. So it's sort of like those are all interchangeable. I don't think there's a big deal if we use one or the other. Do you come cool. down hard on that? <laughs> no, I actually um, when watching this movie, I asked Jeremy that, and I was like, "Is there a difference between saying like mobs, mob, or mafia?" And he's like, "No, I, I mean, in in his opinion, he was like, I think it's the exact same thing." I'm like, "Cool, I just don't want to like." be using right. the wrong word if one right. is like more for this and something else is for that yes <laughs> so the like the literal semantics of it are mafia is like the sicilian word uh mm. for like those people who uh were organized crime in sicily and then they came over here to america and then that got sort of uh brandished for all italian american um crime organized crime and then but other people use it too, so like they'll call it like the Russian Mafia or the Russian Mob, which apparently they have their own name, obviously in Russian, which I looked up but I don't remember how to say. But like, <laughs> you'll see it in movies, they'll have like, uh, you know, for the Chinese Mafia is called the, the Triads, and then yeah. the Japanese Mafia is the Yakuza, and then there's all the, those are the most popular ones that I know, but, like, they'll just call them gangs or gangsters most of the time, or the mob, and then, like, what ethnic, if it's in a, like, predominantly split ethnic place, they'll call it, like, the so-and-so mob, so, like, the Chechenian mob or whatever, if you watch Barry, so, um, it's, it's sort of all over the place, but we're just going to refer to them as, like, it's just an or organized crime syndicate that sort of takes the main role in both the things we watched or read and watched and then I guess for the whole genre so uh, we were talking a little bit earlier you said you're not particularly like you don't seek out media that has mob ties in it like you're not you're not an aficionado no it's like it's one of those things that like I've seen The Godfather I've seen Goodfellas I've seen The Departed like Departed yeah um, <laughs> Uh, so it's one that like I enjoy it well enough, but it's not like I need to go through all the gangster movies or yeah. all the gangster books. Yeah. So there was a 
you were talking about how earlier the um, the Godfather sort of set the genre up for what I think it is today, and in a lot mm-hmm. of ways that's completely true because before the Godfather, they always had like it was always a cautionary tale, you know, because it's it's somebody who's power hungry. They rise to the top and they have to get theirs because that was what the is it the Hayes or the Shaw act where it was like censorship, you know, in like old Hollywood where they oh right is that the Hayes yeah. act uh... clause something something like that. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember. But they demanded that if there's ever a villain and anyone sort of thinks that they're being um, like held up to be sympathetic or a role model, that they have to get theirs by the end. Like, And that's usually like murdered by, you know, the authorities rather than put, <laughs> put in jail. Because it's like, even if you try to do this, you know, the justice will prevail is the you will die but what we see in the godfather is like no he gets everything like he has the family with k and then he ascends to like the you know the throne sort of thing and then like the door closes so you're like oh this is this is a different kind of movie you know yeah um but so i would say i like this type of stuff but i haven't so Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather, and I haven't read any of his books, but that's, like, his genre. And it's sort of, you know, you could say that Martin Scorsese is a, that's, like, his genre, too, which is not quite fair, because, like, he has, you know, the movie Doubt and Gangs of New York isn't about the mafia. It's about, like, you know, the roots of, you know... Uh, immigrants in a, in New York and all that stuff and like he has dozens of other things but really that's what to like the layperson that's his genre and I was talking about Guy Ritchie earlier like there are people who this is their thing and that's yeah. what they'll churn out and I don't think besides The Sopranos there's really been TV about gangsters um would Boardwalk Empire fall into that it absolutely would that's a perfect example yeah and that's a show I actually really, really do want to watch at some point, because... Big Steve Buscemi head? Well, no, it's it's more like I'm really into, like, the Prohibition, mm-hmm. speakeasy kind of thing, and normally with that, the Mafia is involved. Oh, so I just thought of another one. Have you seen Peaky Blinders? I started watching it, and it's something I need to get back into. It's it's one of those shows I have to, like, actively really pay attention to, so yes. I feel like... You know, it's not a show I can do something while watching, so I yes. kind of got away from it on accident. That's a good way to categorize that show because, like, for me, it's mostly I have to turn on subtitles, but also yes. like, yes, for sure, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the characters look the same too, and it's like shot in a way where it's not. But anyway, yeah. So I think that it's it's kind of a it is its own like subgenre of stuff. And I usually like the movies, but they're usually the same. And we got two very different pieces of media today, even though they're both about, they both revolve around the mafia. And I thought that was uh, pretty fortuitous for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, I was excited. <laughs> so um, we've got Agnes and the Hitman, which is a collaboration uh, romance novel written by. 
I'm going to say Jennifer Cruzy. Does that sound right? Yes. And then um, Bob Mayer. Uh, this is their second collaboration novel, but it looks like they've done three as of now? As of 2009. I think that was the latest update. So, um, are you familiar with either of these authors before I move forward? Um, I had actually, I've never read Jennifer Cruzy before this, but she's an author that a lot of my romance writer and reader friends love. And so it's someone that I've been meaning to read for quite some time because she writes a lot of books solo as well. And like several of my friends have like, she is their gateway into the romance world. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, it happens to be that a lot of my, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, Jennifer Cruzy, like, I love her. And, the, and then they'll list off, like, five books I need to go read. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. So, uh, did you, I read a little bit about her, and it, she has a really interesting, uh, like, story about how she became a writer. Did you read anything about her? I didn't. Okay, so this is from her Wikipedia page. It says, writing was an accidental career. She was working on her MFA dissertation, which focused on the impact of gender on narrative strategies. So to research this, the differences in the way men and women tell stories, Cruzy read 100 romance novels written by women, planning on following that by reading 100 adventure novels written by men. The romance novels were so compelling that Cruzy changed her dissertation to focus on romantic fiction and decided to try her hand at writing a romance novel. And now she's got... She's apparently very well well written. And, like, yeah. a, I mean, so it says she's on the New York Times Publishers Weekly USA Today bestselling author. And then, like, they list, you know, 15, 16 books by her and then a couple collaborations with other people. And she's in anthologies. But it's just, like, that's a really cool, uh, like, personal story, you know, because usually you just, people go to school to write and then they write, you know, and then that's... Like they have to compete in the the you know the novel arena, but mm. it sounds like she was very well read and then you know applied that to. But I I have to say like this didn't seem structured like what I was expecting a romance novel to be. Where do you what do you think about that? I think it is a little bit different. Um... Not, like, in a bad way or anything. Sure. And I don't know if that's because she was also writing with Bob Mayer, who right. I think does more, like, criminal kind of fiction. Yeah. I think. That sounds and, right. And I, I, I'm I, very curious how they did this. Like, I, I want to know, like, did she write the Agnes point parts of it and he wrote the Shane parts of it? Or did they, like, write it together? Because, like, I feel like there was definitely... A style difference between yes. when you had Agnes's thoughts and when you had Shane's thoughts. I agree. So this is what I found about Bob Mayer. He is a former Green Beret and USA Today best author, best-selling author. He has 32 novels, and uh, some, and he has two pen names. Uh, so they have this stat, and this sounds. He has over two million books in print. I'm like, yeah, but like, not the same. Like not different books, like there. Anyway, so I just yeah, thought that was a. That's, that's a silly way to word it. <laughs> but uh, still pretty impressive. <laughs> like, yeah. So it says. But if you look at his list of books, like there are a lot. Yeah. So it says in September 2004, 
Mayer met romance novelist Jennifer Cruzy at a writer's conference in Maui. So, must be nice. (laughs) (laughs) They collaborated on a series of military-themed romance novels where you're like, well, is that really? But, like, that Shane and, is it Preacher? Walker? What's the guy's, what's his friend's name? Sorry, you put Preacher in my head, which is uh, someone's name in, um... oh, God, I think there's a Preacher in the Virgin River series, and I think there's a preacher in, like, um, oh, God, what is his name? Uh, it's something like that. Oh, hold on. It starts with a C. Oh. I don't remember the C. Um, this is the problem. I can't, like, Also. Campbell. No? That can't be right. That cannot be right. <laughs> anyway. Closer. Hit- Carpenter. Okay, that's it. I knew it was a it was an occupation that he had as an only name. So I was not, I would not have come up with Carpenter. I think so. The problem I had was this this Wikipedia entry did not exist for this book. So I just found something for both of the authors, which is fine. But like, it's always nice to have a paragraph reminder. This book was over four hundred pages, which I was not expecting. Um. It was a doozy. Especially because the last romance novel we read was under 215. Like, I think it was like 180 pages or something. Like, Yeah, that was for, like, a long novella. Right. And this was a book. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just, there was a lot of names to keep track of. Uh, the plot moved uh, in a way that was, like, easy to keep track of, even though it did do the... You said it's kind of common to go from one perspective to another yeah. in romance. Okay, so they did that uh, pretty off, like, not every chapter, but uh, regularly enough where you were, like, it kept it moving. And there was, like, the two. there were two distinct stories that eventually culminated in one uh, big climax, climax. But it was, like, you know, you wanted to keep reading, which is nice, but there was just, like, there's a lot of names to keep track of, and... I didn't do I so was, good. Yeah, I don't know. Were you reading it like as an ebook or a paperback? I had ebook. Yeah, me too. So I I did find myself every so often that say a name. I was like, wait, have we met this person? And so I'd click it and search it to see so what, what happened earlier. Or I I think what I was expecting, and this is again because uh, this is colored by the one uh, romance novel I'd read, but like that had such a rich like connection to it it belong so it was written by a woman who was part of a group of authors who were all writing in a universe together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like so when they mentioned certain people they had already been in other books or they were mentioning other people who were setting up other stuff so like when they would mention these people i just expected that they already had a book like because they move they don't really give the audience uh, full like exposition dump which I always appreciate but it did seem like I had trouble remembering who pe- like these family people were because I'm like so it's his uncle but it's like his and this is his other uncle and like and it was also like the age thing was kind of confusing because like the uh, the female antagonist is, a, is the grandma of the woman getting married, and so I just expected wait, her to wait, be... Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Yeah. The, no. the woman getting married is the, like, 
surrogate daughter of Agnes. Yeah, it's her goddaughter. Right, and then... You said, you said granddaughter. Yeah. Granddaughter... No. The granddaughter is getting married. Well, no. Of... So the, the antagonist... The, oh, the antagonist. Yeah. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Brenda. Brenda right. Yeah. So Brenda doesn't seem like a grandma. Like, no, they don't really play her up as one. Well, I think that was the whole point. She's supposed to be like, I'm the cool grandma. Like, don't right. call me grandma. That makes me old. I'm still sexy and, right. and like, powerful and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, well, I guess, like, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and, and like, I mean, do we... Yeah. Do we want to, like, kind of, like explain who these people are. Sure. I don't know how, okay, so Agnes, who is the the Agnes in, in the Hitman, she is a, a food writer, and she has recently bought with her fiancé, who quickly becomes ex-fiancé, um, this property, uh, this house, that she grew up spending summers at with her best friend, because it's her best friend's family's place. And you don't know initially why Brenda is selling this place but it seems pretty sketchy from the get-go um and like she's not really like giving up power like right. she still feels like she has control over things even though agnes bought it yeah um and then we then have shane who's the hitman which did you were you clear and from the get-go that he actually worked for the government or did you think he worked for like Unt some sort of... until he legitimately said out loud to her, I work for the government. <laughs> like, because I was just assuming, because they mentioned that he was special forces or Green or forces Yeah, or something like that. I just assumed that, like, oh, you know, it's like so many stories where, like, so and so is a soldier and he comes back, needs a job, and he, you know, ends up working for organized crime. So I just, like, I had no idea. I, I until he said it. Yeah. And I think. I think that was on purpose. I think they wanted us to think that he was part of organized crime. Yeah. Until he's like, no, 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 like, I'm actually working. <laughs> right, for Uncle Sam. Him. Yeah. Um, but we do know pretty quickly um, that his uncle is ex-mafia, which right. I think is also why I assumed he was part of that, because yeah. his family connections to it. Right. And so... There's this big family, like, they're preparing for a wedding. Because, of course, the weddings have to be involved with the mafia. And a romance and, novel. <laughs> and a romance novel, yeah. And so Agnes is, is letting her goddaughter use the house and property for her wedding, because that's family connection and all that. And we hear that, like, the big dawn of... Is that how you pronounce that? Dawn? That's how I say it. Okay. Of, the like, this branch of the mafia... Um, which is like her great uncle or whatever will be there, and that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. And uh, so they're they're getting everything prepared and ready, and just shit keeps going wrong. And someone comes and tries to attack Agnes and her dog, and they're not sure at first. Like, are they after the dog? Are they after to kill her? We don't know what's happening. Right. Uh. So Uncle Joey, who has like taken Agnes under her, like has just pretty much watched over Agnes for years. Um, she's like, you know, older man in her life that she can count on, uh, called Shane and is like, Shane, I need you to come home and keep an eye on my little friend. Right. And then that's how we get those two together because there's a, they think, they're not sure, there's danger happening around Agnes and, and she needs protecting and Shane is good at protecting and so that's how they are thrust together even though 
he has his own mission that he is working on. Um, and so, like, he keeps getting distracted by this pretty woman. Right. <laughs> but then we find out that his mission and her and, and, and protecting her are all interconnected. Which, like, there's there's more to the, like, machinations, but that would wasn't intentional that they were supposed to be connected like he wasn't supposed to know about like Agnes is just because his uncle called him right right and so uh, I think because they would just be like oh you know Uncle Joey has this connection with Agnes and like you're like really like I just expected this to be part of another series you know because there's all of this history between this small town family and I don't know it just seemed like there, I was missing something which isn't to say that I wanted it to be uh, less complex or fewer characters or you know because I thought it was interesting and I liked reading because I kept finding stuff out but it would it would sort of seem like there was even though it was 430 pages that I was there could have been more like exposition on a relationship between characters that knew each other very well, apparently. It does feel like very much like a family and town that a whole series of books would exist. Right. And, that, and I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if the other books that... It didn't seem like it. The first okay. one, the Don't Look Down, was their first one in 2006. Um, it didn't seem like that was connected, because they didn't make an, any mention of it. Interesting. So, oh, that's what I was going to do. I was going to describe their writing process because they they describe it uh, very briefly it says Mayer and Cruzy's unique collaborations took place via email with Mayer writing from the male perspective and Cruzy writing those scenes that involve the female perspective so it was just like your uh, hunch and then it says Agnes and the Hitman which was their second one became a New York Times bestseller earning Mayer a spot on the Romance Writers of America honor roll so that's nice. And he was the first male to get that. Is that right? That's what it says up ahead, uh, at the very top of his page. 2007. He holds the of being the only male author on the Romance Writers of America honor roll. I don't know if that's still accurate because I feel like there, there have been more men involved with the RWA sure. since then. But at least there hasn't been an update on his page, so he can still claim that. <laughs> I was. It, it seems like. If you had just had uh, Cruzy write the novel, it would have been shorter. And I think it would have been fine because she does... Agnes is a very, you know, enthralling character. You want to, you know, know what happens. And, like, even though... So, like, the whole thing with the bartender last time and, like, a food scientist? It seems like sometimes they're they run out of ideas <laughs> for like characters to have a job or they seem somewhat cliche like a writer writing about a writer who's having trouble writing you're like oh no but like no she is very interesting and she just happens to write as well and when i think it helps that she's a food writer and yes. she's a she's a cook and she writes a food um column in a newspaper yeah and she's worked on a food book called like mob food or something like that which already had been out but we're like oh okay (laughs) like it just again it was it felt very lived in and i felt like i missed something which isn't (laughs) it's more on me that i'm just like 
I expected it to... I, I think I had a lower expectation, and I was just pleasantly surprised at how well-written so much of this was. Yeah, me too. I was... I, yeah, I actually... It took me... I feel like it took me, like, two chapters to really get into it, and then once I... Just, I feel like they both... Bob and Jennifer had some kind of weird writing quirks yes. in this. And once I kind of, like, got into the groove of it, like, I literally sat there on the couch all day long. And just, like, it's... It's very, it's very readable. It's you know the the action doesn't really slow down. Um, it I do want to point out, even though it's a romance novel, they really only have like one explicit scene, uh, and so it it's sort of like I think Jeremy was the one who brought this up. He's like, it doesn't really matter if you're trying to write something funny. If you write something good, it will probably be funny. And I yeah. think that's the same sort of thing with this. It's like. You don't have to try to make something like super sexy. You just write something good, and it'll probably have some sexiness in it, you know. Right. And if you're able to write the chemistry. Yes. Between your characters. Chemi- yeah, that's a very if, good point. Like they have chemistry even when they're fully clothed. Right. And uh, let's talk about the food writing. I was so hungry, <laughs> like listening to this. That's a. It's like what you know they have like the food porn commercials where it's yeah. just like they zoom in slowly on a gordita or something <laughs> like that's what I was I was getting those vibes from this where they're talking about pancakes and oh you know Oh my god. Yeah, because a big thing in this is like kind of like the the concept of like found family versus like your blood family and yeah. and her Agnes's love language was cooking for people. That's like what made her calm and yeah. and happy and so all these people are trying to kill her. Shane keeps shooting people in her house and killing people. Carpenter's coming in to get rid of the package. Right. And in the meantime, she's like, let me make you some pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me cook up some some muffins. And she's just like, I think for her, it was her, her way of showing her love and appreciation for those that she cared about, but also giving her a sense of normalcy yes. with all this crazy shit happening around her. Right. It made me very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, that is something that shows up in good mafia movies is, uh, you know, them sitting down and eating food, which, like, shows us that how, even though, you know, they're this seedy underworld, but they, you know, and they run things, they they still need to eat, and they enjoy eating well. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, like, Agnes isn't part of the mafia, but her best friend, um, LL, is pretty much like a mafia princess but right like that's separated, the, the but phrase separated they keep using it. right yeah and and so like all these people she's surrounded by are mafia adjacent at least or ex-mafia or current mafia <laughs> or fighting against the mafia like right. they, they, she she's like wow i'm sitting here with two hitmen whatever mafia this that like she's like yeah. this is this is a very interesting table of people I have here. Oh well, gonna keep feeding you. <laughs> yes, and I really, I, I really like how f- realistic some of the side characters were, because like the the woman getting married and her fiance are both kind of just like rich, kind of vapid, you know, like e- e- prissy brats most of the time, and you're like, that's that was you didn't need to do that. Like you didn't need to have scenes with them, but every time we had a scene with them, it felt like they were well-written, you know? 
and yeah, and so Maria, who's her goddaughter, the one who the bride, um, it kind of shocked me how kind of prissy she was. Yeah. Since her mom literally was a single mom who didn't have anything, who worked her ass off to like get to where they were. Yeah. I was like, how dare you be so? I don't know. Like, yeah. But she, that that's a testament to how well written she was. You're like, no, like. This should you should be nice like that's you know but and in real life nice, that's how people act <laughs> yeah and, and she is a 19 year old bride yes, and yes. i feel like the 19 year old 20 year old brides are typically the, yeah. the more high strung the, the bride zealous yeah 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 for sure um sorry any listeners who got married very young <laughs> they know what they did <laughs> um yeah, so what else do you want to say about this before we move on to the other one? I think there's a lot to say, and we've touched on some of it, and we'll touch on more later, but is there anything else that you want to point out to uh, because you have that romance reader's eye? Um, yeah. Um, like, in ter- like, typically within romance, like, the character goes through some sort of growth, either mm-hmm. separately or together or both. Um, and I don't... I don't think Agnes so much had that. Like, I think she definitely... She's an interesting character because she's had, like, three or four exes that she has assaulted. Yeah, which... (laughs) Definitely thought those would have been other books. Uh, But you wouldn't get a happy ending at the end of that book because she's still not with that person. But she would be not with that person because he's a scumbag most of the time because most of them cheated on her. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the majority of the time you find out, uh, like, she walked in on, on her fiancé or her or boyfriend or whatever, <laughs> and her weapon of choice ended up being a frying pan, which really cracked me up. Yeah. Um, until she found out her current fiancé, and at this point, like, she's engaged and has met Shane, and, she, and she's like, hmm, he's good looking, but I have to, I have to get rid of this Yahoo first. Um, and she's already, like, broke up with him. And he's trying to like be like, no, but baby, blah, blah, blah. And we find out, this is the craziest shit of all this. We find out that her fiancé, whose name I can't remember, um, is actually already married yeah. <laughs> to her best friend's mother. Right. Who she bought this house from. And we find out because Brenda is pretty much broke. And so she needed the quick cash of selling the house. And ha- like it was written in like, okay, like you don't have to pay like the first few months of mortgage um as long as the wedding happens here at the property (laughs) and so then brenda's doing everything in her power to make the wedding not happen so then um she and her new husband agnes's old fiance can have the property back have everything and agnes would be left with nothing which you're like holy shit like that is Brenda was a character. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you're talking about these hitmen and, you know, the mafia, but really, like, she's the villain because she's willing to do things and get away with the things that, like, the hitmen and the mafia other have failed to get away with or, like, you know, it, it, the the um, detective, the local sheriff guy, he's going to know that they are guilty and, like, you know, because they all have records, but Brenda's just like, oh, well, I was just trying, you know, when she kills kills that man <laughs> with her car, and she's just like, I was so upset that they were going to hurt Agnes. And you're like, everybody's like, no, no, you're not. And then they're like, but, and she 
gets to get away because there's no way to prove intention in that. But like, if any of the you know mafia guys had done it, they would have been toast. So. Well, it's important to point out that her husband, who has been missing for what twenty years or whatever, <laughs> um, was mafia, and right. like he was connected with Joey, um, and they had got, like pulled off this big heist of like five million. Five million dollars, and the next day, the he was he's missing and the money's missing, and so they all assumed that he either ran off with it, or was assassinated, or right. something happened, um, and they just never knew. So they just have assumed for all these years that he was dead, <laughs> but <laughs> he's not dead. Nope, he's he's got an Irish accent, <laughs> and gained weight and colored his hair. Yeah, and actually been. One of the characters helping out Agnes this entire book. <laughs> I guess like he was the most like uh like stereotypical like cardboard character until you find out that he's actually a disguise and you're like, Oh, that's actually more interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. And especially because he was around yeah. his Keeping an eye on stuff. Yeah. And and was around Joey and none of these people recognized him. Like yeah. it took I don't remember exactly what happened that Joey finally figured it out, but yeah. <laughs> it, I think it was after the Shane reveal, and it was like there was they were running out of like options, so they needed to call him. Like they needed to figure that part out too. Yeah, but... they need to be truthful. Yeah, and so then we also find out that Shane, who with, Uncle Joey had raised him until a certain point of time, and then shipped him off to military school, and then he became a green beret or whatever right kind of high up badass military dude and then we find out started working for the government as a hitman um and but we find out that his dad who was killed when he was little was actually supposed to take over the mafia so he's like prince mafia boy right and he and he never knew this but he finds this out like how old is he do you think he's like 35 32 i don't i think they hint at it sometime and it's he's not old so yeah that sounds right like maybe low 30s a high 20s yeah definitely he's definitely over over 18 and like oh, yeah. definitely younger than 40 so somewhere in that that that's perfect demographic of romance novel and action star <laughs> exactly exactly yeah Oh, I, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I, 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 I liked this. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, and we'll come back to other stuff uh, to talk about it in a second, but let's move on to the movie we watched. It's a 1980 British gangster film called The Long Good Friday, referencing the Catholic holiday um, that is right before Easter. And it stars Bob Hoskins. Did you recognize him from anything? I'm going to tell you the movies he's in in a second, but did you, off the top, just, like, seen him or maybe his name, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember him from blank? No. <laughs> okay. So he is uh, most famously the Eddie Valiant from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's the detective in that. Oh, yeah. He's also Mario Mario in the Super Mario Brothers. He's the main character. Oh, my God. And then uh, he's also Smee from Hook, if you've seen that. Oh, yeah. And then he's in just, like, a whole bunch of other stuff as bit characters. and then, But, like, this was his, uh, apparently his first major movie, and I think he got a BAFTA? 
nomination. But anyway, um, so it's him and Helen Mirren, who's just in so much stuff. As like, but she's like super young, and well, they're both. Uh, Bob Hoskins always looks like he's like forty, you know. <laughs> but yeah. I, so uh, there were some release delays, but it came out in 1980. The storyline weaves together events and concerns of the late 70s, including mid-level political and police corruption, IRA fundraising, displacement of traditional British industry by property development, and a whole bunch of other uh, nefarious stuff. So it was. Uh, apparently there's the British Film Institute or the BFI and this was voted number 21 on their on their best movies Um, okay so this plot is uh, fairly straightforward until like there's like two or three double crosses and it's kind of hard to like you know who the bad guys are and you know who you're supposed to root for quote unquote like you know who the protagonist is even though they're not necessarily good people just like when you're watching the godfather or you're watching the sopranos you know that these people are criminals but you're rooting for them rather than the other criminals so well and i feel like in typical uh british fashion (laughs) the bad guys are the irish (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so and in a in a kind of funny twist about we're gonna reveal the ending but so the the premise is that um, from the main character Bob Hoskins that's not his character's name his character's name is Harold uh, okay so from Harold's point of view um, he's in charge of like a crime family and organization in London London, and uh, some Americans are coming uh, to invest in like a dock or rather a harbor uh, like remodeling which is sort of reminiscent of um, like the wire season two when they're going to change yeah. the, take over the docks and then similar to the Sopranos with the Esplanade so it's like this is when uh, organized crime is starting to move into like real estate so they have they have the police in their pocket they have government officials in their pocket they have people who you know they have construction etc etc so they're going to make honest money but through like illegal means so they are you know strong arming all these people to make sure that they get uh this property and they're going to make all sorts of money but they're they want the american gangsters and mafia on their side and so uh, New York has sent over some representatives and they're going to like take them around and show them what's up and uh, so we're sort of in media res of that but meanwhile uh, before like the movie so the movie starts with um, a money drop where this guy steals some money and then everybody gets shot and then Pierce Brosnan shows up as a sexy Irish youth who <laughs> Who uh, I did not realize that was Pierce oh he, he looks very young. Even though he always kind of looks 40, he looks like he's 37 in this. He looks a little bit younger. But um, then we, we don't know who these assassins are. Yeah. Do you think that if you were a, uh, a British viewer in the 1980s, you would have known they were the Irish? 
Is that a is that a silly question? Is it one of those things where I can't tell an Australian and New Zealand accent apart, but like people there can? Is that the sort of same thing? Oh, I mean, yes, I would definitely be able to tell the accents, but also, I mean, this was taking place when, I guess, it would have been shown in the early '80s, and that's when the IRA, yeah, the, Nor- the Northern Irish was bombing London. Right. And, that's a good point. And so, I mean, like they, this came out while this shit was actually going on between Northern Ireland and England. Um, so I feel like they probably would have picked up on that a little quicker. I knew it just because I had read the blurb gotcha. of what this movie was. Um, but then I was like, oh, well, duh. <laughs> Makes sense that it's going to be IRA-related until... Well, once an Irish person started talking, I was like, oh, that's an Irish accent. Got it. Right. Cool. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, since they were in the middle of car bombs happening and London being attacked and shit going on all the time in, in Northern Ireland, I feel like it probably would have been like So when they obvious. saw the car explode they're like, clearly a IRA, right? I would assume so. Yeah, because that's sort of their MO. Their, yeah. call, their calling card. Um, did you... So, <laughs> apparently the like the head of production saw the movie and was like upset because he thought that he allegedly objected to what he saw as glorification of the IRA. Did you get that from the movie that the Irish were the good guys? <laughs> no. Right, because there's three like organized crime organizations. There's you know Harold's, there's the American Gangsters, and then there's the IRA. Of all of them, I thought they were the villains, which is you know again this is. A, a story all of these are criminals and all of them are bad people but right. the, the americans you're like oh these guys are jerks they're just like they're scared of you know another group and they're not willing and that was the whole thing like harold at the end is like t- telling them off like he's like we don't need you we were just you know we wanted to build a relationship so we could both make money and he's right. like but you know and then how that ends so do you think that maybe he got sold out by the Americans? Either way, the I- the Irish are not the good guys, and I don't know how anybody could have seen this and been like, oh, yeah, they're glorifying the IRA. Well, yeah, especially um, like the big, big double-crossing that happened was, is his name Harris, the guy that... Yeah. Harris um, is like kind of like Harold's right-hand man. Oh, no, that's Jeff. You... Oh, Jeff. Yeah. Harris is the counselor, the councilman. Ah, who, yeah. But didn't Jeff also do... Like, Jeff, is the, Jeff is the double cross, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, because we find out that Harris is working with the IRA right. in terms of, like, government stuff as well. Um, but Jeff is the one that is, like, hardcore double-crossing Harold. Right. For money, and, too, yeah. Yeah, like, he... And, and so it's like, obviously, if the double-cross is with the IRA, the IRA is not being glorified. Like, right. Jeff is now a bad guy because yeah. he's helping them out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand how they got that. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, I thought that was a funny... But again, uh, you know, if, if they had that view, like, immediately when this movie came out, like, I'm sure tensions were very high sure. when it had to deal with the IRA. <laughs> right. Of course. That's a good point. So, um, yeah, the movie takes place over the course of, like, I guess, you know, uh, maybe, like, two days total. But it's so it's a very, it's pretty fast paced in that capacity, and you are, as the audience, kind of 
in the dark a lot about a lot of what's happening like Mm -hmm. why are they blowing stuff up what does this have to do with so-and-so how did what we saw at the beginning connect to other stuff and like I think they did a really good job of like it moved along because I wanted to know what happened and I was also like interested even though all of this stuff was set up they didn't need flashbacks to make it make like catch you up to speed yeah what do you think yeah. about the movie? What did you, um, sort of mafia vibes were you getting from it? I enjoyed it. Um, I feel like there was a couple times I was getting kind of confused. Like, I wasn't sure exactly how Colin was involved with things. Um, he's the one that we saw at the beginning of the movie who did a money drop and then stole some of the money. Um, and we find out that he's gay and, like, Thinks he, you think he's gonna go like go have a sexy hookup and right. then, and then he's murdered in a swimming pool, um, and then we find out that Colin and Harold are like best friends. So right. Harold did not take take lightly to Colin being murdered, um, but like all in all, I thought it was interesting. I enjoy, I enjoyed the the pace of it all. Um, I thought like the double crosses were interesting. I honestly. Of all the people, I didn't expect Jeff to be, at least from the majority of it, I feel like I didn't really expect Jeff to be the one who was going to sell out Harold. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, buddy, come on now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just because there was... Yeah. Exactly. Because there were so many characters that didn't seem as close or, as you know, to Harold who, because he doesn't seem to, like, let anybody in because yeah. he's so dangerous and scary that you didn't think someone who was that close to him would betray him like that. Especially because, like, even with the... Because oftentimes in these movies, the female uh, character, not even lead, usually doesn't have a personality besides, like, they like being rich, and this is the only way they know how to be rich, you know? And usually they're sort of conniving and backstabbing so that they can get theirs. But, like, Helen Mirren is very smart, and she like she's in charge of keeping the Americans calm and happy and then she has to deal with the you know the stupid counselor who gets drunk and who's you know a liability and all this stuff so i i was you know before we got to find that out about her i thought she might be the weak link but actually she ends up being just as conniving and you know dangerous as harold was yeah i was surprised and pleasantly surprised by that like I I thought it was great that Victoria had such a huge role right within the organization and like people like she didn't take shit from anybody right yeah (laughs) and and she like she takes them to the restaurant and like they get everything taken care of for them and like she gets the special and sort of it's like this is her domain too it's not just she it's not just because she's with him it's like she's also someone in charge yeah I thought that was pretty cool. Okay, so um, we'll be back in just a minute with the four criteria that we came up with to decide which one of these pieces of media with the mafia in it was better. All right, and we're back. We've got our four criteria set up. Um, First, whenever we talk about uh, anything on this podcast, we talk about would you rather... Uh, rewatch it or reread it. So, which one of these would we rather reconsume? Um, we talked about 
uh, sort of mafia books and uh, movies usually have some sort of like crime, big crime in it, some grittiness, some illicit activity. So which one of these did a better job of presenting that? We talked about um, the glamorized life of the the mafiosa and the people who, um, you know, organized crime is so uh, interesting because these people sort of, you know, they live the high life sometimes. They get mm-hmm. all, you know, they go to the, they have fancy yachts, they have, uh, you know, fancy weddings with horse heads that show up in people's beds. Like, <laughs> they they get what they want and sort of like, which one of these did, you know, sort of showed off that glamorized life. And then um, we talked about an interesting slash dangerous character. So which one did a better job of showing us um, sort of the sympathetic, interesting, uh, maybe human side of someone who is in these, who's in the mafia? Yeah. Okay, where do you want to start? What do you think is going to be good? Uh, might as well start with a read or watchability. Okay. Which one are you going to uh, go over again? I, I mean, I, I could see myself later on doing a reread of Agnes and the Hitman. Okay. What for? I think, um, well, I think it'd be kind of interesting to give it another go, like, now knowing, like, the end. Like, seeing if I can figure out, like, hints and things along the way, and just also having a better understanding of all the characters, since there are so many names in it, like, and not getting confused and having to, like, stop and look up someone or whatever. Um, I think it'd be... It would be interesting to have that second round through perspective of it to be like, oh, look how clever they were with these yeah. things early on and all that. Um, and I just, I liked it. I, I, I like, I like Shane a whole bunch. I like Agnes a lot as a character. So uh, I don't normally reread books very quickly after reading it, but sure. I could see myself coming back to it again. So I'm gonna say the long. Good Friday, specifically for the exact same reasons you said. I'd like to go back and like rewatch it now that I'm conscious of all of the like intricacies of the double cross and so and so. But like, I liked the Agnes one, but I think I would like it if I we read like a companion novel or like a day in the life of one of the other people. Like, I enjoyed the world that they created together, but I am we read. <laughs> 400 well I guess like 215 pages of Agnes and 215 pages of Shane so I'm like I'm kind of happy with Shane Shane was kind of a boring character in a lot of ways which is not anybody's fault it's just like there was you know Agnes was interesting enough where I'd rather watch like or read like a young Agnes or like Agnes alternate storyline but I want Carpenter's story yeah he seems and that's the whole thing is like I thought he and uh, LL would already like already have like a, a spin-off novel, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that there was enough interesting people that I don't want to reread just their love story again because I thought they you know put a nice bow on it for me. I thought they did yeah. a good job. Okay. Um. What about the? Let's talk about the glamorized part. So which one? Which. <laughs> Which uh, mafia would you rather operate in? The one in London or the one in... Were they in New Jersey? I think they were in, like... No. Okay. No, they were, like, southern. Um, they, were, uh, they were... 
Oh, where's I think they're in Georgia because that's where Savannah is, right? And they were yeah. talking about like they, they took like a day trip to Savannah or whatever. There you go. Okay. Um, uh, but I think the mafia itself was like the the Don is in Florida. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. So which one do you think had it better as a glamorized life? Well, I would say I think the Long Good Friday shows more of the glamour side of it because you were in the midst of like the Don or whatever they call their leader. Um, and like got to see like his fancy yacht parties and going to the the restaurants and being like oh I'll have my my normal and right. then knowing what that means and all that. Whereas in Agnes and the Hitman, it was more like the people on the edge of the mafia still like that we we there was a lot of mafia stuff happening but it wasn't actually seen. Oh, I'm part of the mafia and because of that. These are all the benefits I have. Right. Um, I thought that the glamorized life of the mafia, it's sort of like, hey, you get you do a, a job that gets you $5 million, and then your wife tries to kill you, so you have to, like, escape, and you lose all the money? Or, like, <laughs> and then, like, you have to come back and, like, hide, and, you know, and then... Yeah. <laughs> and then... Brenda, who, you know, has connections to the mob, her boat gets blown up at the end. And so, like, <laughs> it's not that glamorous. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, and I think that sort of goes to the whole thing where it's like, just because you're organized crime doesn't mean it kind of goes with the, the gritty part where it's like, just because you're in charge doesn't mean you're in charge of something good all the time. Like, you could, just because you're in charge in Florida doesn't mean <laughs> You know, you're getting all the nice things in a non-big town near Savannah, Georgia. It's like, oh, cool. That's a that's a really nice kingdom you got there, <laughs> like <laughs> rural Georgia. And they hinted at that um, Shane's uncle, who is in charge or whatever, um, the Don. They made it sound like their lifestyle in Florida is much more glitz and glam, but sure. we didn't see any of that. Sure. So. Because, like, the people who are the richest are, like, the young preppy guy who's, you know, in charge of, like, making golf courses. And you're like, oh, right. that's too bad. <laughs> and he's not mafia at all. Right. So. He's just a rich guy in, in Georgia. <laughs> and then we get with, like, Harold and, like, he's just sort of, like, the the police officer tells him that he's not going to help him. And he's just like, yeah, you are. And he slaps him in the face. <laughs> like, holy moly. And... <laughs> I know that that might kind of go into the grittier illicit part, but I just thought that was pretty glamorous. It's just like, you, they're like, no, it's like out of my jurisdiction. He's like, well, I guess you're going to have to lie about this explosion so that it stays in your jurisdiction. I'm like, is that how things work? I'm like, mm, probably. So. And, at least in the, in, at least in the 70s. <laughs> well, also in like I thought it was nice that he's having this nice toast and he's just like you were my closest friends and the reason you're here is cuz you have, you know, helped me out and we're all going to make money together. I'm like that's, you know, that's a nice dinner toast, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now to the more the grittier side. Which one do you think showed because like you can't run an organized crime syndicate and be successful if you don't, you know, break some legs and do some heinous deeds. So which one do you think did a better job of showing the grittier side? Well, uh, 
this one's tricky because you definitely get the grittiness in the long the long good friday i mean like you have all the bombings happening you you see harold kill jeff yeah his like closest friend he just aggressively with a bottle um which is played off it's in a lot of ways it's the same thing that happens to agnes when she gets like the the her eyes glaze over with red and she loses her mind like it's the same sort of thing but it's played like for laughs when she stabs her creep of an ex-fiance and then harold murders his best friend and then like slowly comes to realize what happened and then it cuts to the outside and we just hear him shrieking you're like oh god that's crazy but i think i i might have to go with agnes on this one just because i mean shane i mean i know shane's not technically mafia but he's no, he is. Did. Remember? Yeah, he, I mean, he is. Eventually. He's not, he's not actively <laughs> right. working for the Mafia at this point, but, I mean, he is, like, Prince Mafia boy. Um, the the amount of killing that happens with Agnes and the Hitman was not what I was expecting. Like, he just, like, oh, God. So one person dies because uh, they fall through the wall that, that she had, no, she had a basement. After and... she beats them over the face with a frying pan, like, four or five times. Yeah, this is someone that was trying to hurt her and her dog, um, and they die. <laughs> Shane, I don't even know how many people Shane killed in this book. Because he, he <laughs> travels, yeah, like, at least ten. Yeah. Single-handedly. And, like, several of them were people that were trying to kill Agnes. And sure. were just like, you and I just, just banged, I'm still kind of naked. Right. And killing this dude, <laughs> like, like he, he very much had that switch. Yes. Where he would go into like war mode and like just be an aggressive killer and then like switch back out of it and be like are you okay and she's like what the fuck just happened right <laughs> except for the one time when he saw the bad guy actually slap agnes and then he he was a frenzied mess right and like the again played off for laughs where it's like carpenter just keeps i guess dissolving these bodies in acid or something like or burying them on property like i don't know what he's doing but his job is to like i mean intelligence but also he is the the body getter getter ritter right he's the cleaner (laughs) yeah he's the he's the mr wolf but it's like it's just such an it's again played for laughs and you're like oh god like (laughs) well and then and then at the end uh when we find out this horrible story that his shane's parents were purposely killed in a boating accident um and he and his uncle, well, both of his uncles, he and his two uncles, uh, go off to get the Don, and then just fucking kill the dude in charge. Yeah. <laughs> and, and... Who's and a then... government agent? Like, there's definitely gonna be some blowback from that, <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, they're... So, <laughs> I think based on pure body count and Shane just being a killing machine, I'm yeah. gonna go with Agnes and the Hitman. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, I'm gonna go with the Long Good Friday because of the scene when they just beat, like, maybe a dozen men, put them in, like, their, like, unmarked trucks, and then hang them from meat hooks upside down. Oh, I forgot about that scene. And then they just beat them, and then <laughs> they find out it's none of their fault, so they say, give them some money and send them home. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> Yeah, that, that, was that was crazy. A, that was crazy. <laughs> and I think, and and so, and then again too, when he kills his 
his friend Jeff. It just reminds me of so a, a huge complaint um, from people about The Godfather is how it legitimately glamorized you know this all of the murder because there's murder every couple of scenes where it's like the the joke they play off is like uh, leave the gun take the cannoli where it's like oh that's funny and then you know he uh, the final scene well the final sequence when he has all the other men killed during his son's christening or no his nephew's christening so I can't remember someone's family <laughs> I think he's being asked to be the godfather anyway sorry tangent but he like that is it feels like a catharsis because like these people tried to come at his family sort of thing where in the good in goodfellas where it was based in real life story like you see uh joe pesci as a psychopath like legitimate anything that his mind takes as offense he's going to overreact violently like he is not someone you want to be around because he'll he'll just kill you for you know because he feels like it and i think that is sort of the the closer to real life and i think we get a little bit we get more of that in the long good friday with like when his friend betrays him instead of dealing with it he loses his mind and then when he's covered in blood after he kills someone that they're all friends with his wife just puts him in a car and they like take care of it and i'm like oh my god that's so dark like i don't know that's what came off to me yeah okay and then our last one which of these does a better job of presenting an interesting slash dangerous dangerous character Hmm. that's hard are we looking at like the main characters no harold or because it's a mafia movie so which one do you think does a better job So I'll start us off. I'm going to yeah. go with Agnes because I think Brenda is the ultimate, like, even though she's not the Don, I think she's the best, like, villain in this. And she, you know, the whole thing with uh, she is a real estate shark um, who on the surface looks like she's doing a friend a favor. She's going to... And then she hires hitmen to kill her, and she murders an old man, and she marries her uh, Agnes's fiance, and mm-hmm. she's money hungry. She is conniving, and she oh, and then and then she kills Agnes's fiance. Oh yeah, and then she uh, basically almost gets away with it. You know, like I think that I think she's very interesting. I think she's super dangerous, oh, and. Yeah. Uh, I think the reason I don't want to pick Harold is because he is so weak. Because even though he is, you know, the leader of this organization, he doesn't can, he doesn't land the Americans. He right. his double cross blows up in his face almost immediately. His best friend betrays him, and like he he pretty much loses everything. And I think yeah. that you know it's. That could go towards the, this is the realistic thing about crime, is there, there's no winning. But, like, he doesn't seem as powerful as as Brenda's played off. I would agree with that. And, like, the whole time, um, Jerry and Agnes, uh, her best friend, LL, is like, no, my mom's 
batshit crazy. Yeah. She killed my dad. Right. Which she didn't kill her dad, but she tried. She tried. <laughs> she just didn't um, succeed. That's not the same. Like, right. <laughs> like, like all the all the stuff that Brenda has done. Like, yeah, the fact that she hires someone to kill someone that's practically her daughter. Yeah. And like for money, not even for, like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fr- Brenda. Brenda was a fascinating character. Uh, and, and she's yeah. almost always in the like the. She's not a tertiary character, but she's definitely not a main character, you know? Yeah. Like, that's how good, like, how well-written it is. She's, because the Don's mentioned a couple times, and then there's, like, the guy who's in charge of, like, not the forest people, but all the, like, hillbilly people, you know, who the, she gets, the one guy comes in. Oh, the, uh, for the wheels Yeah, the wheels, the wheels family. Like, yeah. that's sort of an, or, like, another organized crime family, and we get a mm-hmm. little bit, a snippet of their life, but it's, like, Brenda's the one in charge of things, I'm getting. Yeah, I, I definitely, Agnes gets the win for that. All right. So, uh, before we go on, I want to tell you about the sequel that they tried to write for um, the Long Good Friday called Black Easter Monday. It says, <laughs> it's set... 20 years after the events of the first film, and it was written by Barry Keefe. It's B-A-R-R-I-E. I I think that's Barry. I mean, I spell it with a Y, but it's not my name. So, uh, he was the original writer of the first... of of the movie we watch. It opens with Bob Hoskins' character, Harold, escaping from the IRA car after it was pulled over by the police, and then he retires to Jamaica, then he returns to the East End uh, after it's being taken over by Yardies, the film was never made. I'm like, yeah, because, like, the whole point of the movie is the ending feels correct. Like, you can't have him escape. That's so dumb. Yeah, I mean, oh, let's see. If this takes place 20 years later, that put it, what, like, t- like 2000? Uh, probably late 90s for for the sake of that they're like this came out in the 80s but it was supposed to be in the, a 70s movie because I mean the IRA stuff kind of ended mostly by when was that it was the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 um, which is funny because I was looking up IRA stuff uh, after watching that oh. movie and I was like what very interesting that this thing has is Good Friday related. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it would have been kind of weird if he was. I mean, not that they would have known that when he was writing the the script, but right. historically, it would have been very bizarre. <laughs> and you know, it's whenever anybody tries to do a sequel, it kind of like you kind of got a question. Like, do, does it help the first movie? Does it legitimize anything? Or like, I think that would have been grotesque like it, it's such a slap yeah. in the face to I, yeah I feel like unless you're writing a script knowing that you plan to write more of that that story like I feel like it never really works out when like you write a full complete thing and sure. then you're like hmm that did well let's see if I can do it again right. and you're like wait you're just fucking things up from the first one now yeah yeah I agree 
Okay, so this is um, a direct split. We got four votes for Agnes and the Hitman and four votes for Long Good Friday, which I think just goes to show, like, both. this was a good movie and a good book. Like, we recommend, I highly recommend both. I do, too. All right, yeah. well, there you go. Very un-mafia sort of end. Uh, a pol- <laughs> polite compromise. <laughs> <laughs> but don't look in your bed. I put a horse in there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll be back in just a minute with a recommendation and a, a snack attack segment. Okay, so we're back. This is uh, the next segment in Comparing Apples to Oranges. Um, Liz, you're a fan of the McElroy brothers, uh, my brother, my brother, and me, right? Yep. So they do the segment Munch Squad, which I think they've been doing for like four years now. Um that's one of my favorites. And then another uh, food podcast I listen to is called um, The Doughboys, and they have a segment where they do um, snack or whack, and they eat things and see if it's good. So I was inspired, and this is the Comparing Apples to Oranges uh, version, which is called The Snack Attack, where we eat two things that uh, both fit in the same category that aren't the same kind of food, and we tell you which one's different. So we got some breakfast biscuits from Belvita. They are limited edition gingerbread. Do you like gingerbread? I should have asked you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not really, like, I like ginger cookies and ginger snaps and things like that, but it's not like, I'm not the type of person at Christmas time that's like, I'm going to go get my gingerbread whatever. Right, Yes. <laughs> So this is um, a festive flavor and delicious taste. And then can you read what kind of Milano's we got here? Yeah. We have Milano Cookies Candy Cane. And on the back of it, it says, Milano, make perfection more perfect, add peppermint. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about mint foods? So is this mint and chocolate? Like, because a Milano is chocolate, right? I thought, yeah, usually Milano's are kind of like light mint anyway. So it looks like... Looking at this, it looks like it has like a layer of chocolate and then the, the minty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, like I like mint chocolate chip ice cream and things like that. So. When when you think winter holiday, do you think gingerbread and peppermint? Oh yeah. Okay, so these these aren't too far off the, the mark. Okay. Um. Like if you think about like the holiday Starbucks uh, coffees. That's like, a good point. Yeah. The, the peppermint's always a big thing. I feel like they always have like a gingerbread latte. Yeah. Um, yeah, salted caramel, I feel like, is another holiday kind Ooh. of... Nothing wrong with caramel. All right, so <laughs> let, uh, let's let eat both of them. I'll cut this chomping part out, and then we'll <laughs> we'll come out on to which one we like better. Are we starting with one over the other, or just yeah. does not matter? Eat them both, and then when we're done chewing, we'll talk about it. All right, what do you think? Oh, okay. The Milano's, um, I feel like if you like an Andy's mint or a Thin Mint cookie, then you'll probably like the Milano candy cane. I think that's a good recommend. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, I can't tell you the last time I've had an actual Milano, so I don't know how to compare it to, like, original. The original, yeah. Yeah, but it's a good snack. It's pretty sweet. So, like, in my opinion, it's pretty sweet. Um, I was surprised at how subtle the the mint was. I from like the smell, I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be. Because I'm not. Yeah. I, I will eat mint chocolate chip ice cream 
But I I would prefer like I usually think of mints as like after dinner or toothpaste. Like <laughs> that's that's usually where I come down. So th- this was this was nice and pleasant because it was very subtle. It is subtle, yeah. I feel like they'd be like I could only probably eat like one or two of those cookies at a time. Very rich, yes. Yeah. But not bad. Yeah. What about uh the gingerbread crack uh what are they call them? Breakfast biscuit. Breakfast biscuit, yes. Uh, the, the scent is really good. Like, I want a candle of this. Yeah, it's a very powerful smell. Again, pretty subtle taste. Because I've had yeah. gingerbread and it been, like, blown over with how strong it is. And that's kind of a kind of turned me off of the, the thing I was eating. But Ginger this... can be really overpowering, but I think they did a good subtle yeah. like, balance of flavors in this. Um, This is probably... Uh, not their fault, but my fault. It's too dry. Like I, every picture of it is like with a cup of coffee because you're obviously supposed to dip this. Um, but like it's too grainy. Like I bit into it and it sucked all the moisture out of my mouth. So it is kind of like eating like a a graham cracker kind of thing. Yeah. I I mean like if I were to dip this in stuff, I'm sure it would be fine. But uh, if I had to pick, I'm picking the Milano. Yeah, I think, yeah, if I don't have, like, a beverage or anything, and I'm just, like, going to grab a quick little snack, I'd probably go with the Milano, too. All right. Um, and now, so that was Snack Tech. What about recommendations? Do you have a mafia movie, uh, TV show, or romance novel, or regular novel, that you would uh, want to recommend to our audience? Oh, jeez. Um... I mean, like, if you haven't seen The Godfather, you probably should. <laughs> I, I guess I should recommend The Godfather Two to you, Liz. I think you yeah. would you would like it. <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to do that. Um, honestly, like, I, I I would highly recommend Agnes and the Hitman, uh, especially if you haven't ever really read romance before and you're interested in checking out that genre. I think that's a really good kind of introduction because it isn't very over the top romance. Yeah. And there's enough action and stuff happening that I think it can appeal to a variety of people and interests. Um, in terms of books I've read recently... Oh, jeez, let me... Um, I feel like this hasn't been keeping track. I feel like my Goodreads is failing me. Oh, no. <laughs> when my cat is in the bag of food. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is not at all uh, related to anything um, mafia, but a really good book I read recently is The Roommate by Rosie Danan? D-A-N-A-N, I think. The font is really small. Uh, And it's an interesting romance novel. This is like very much hardcore romance novel where she moves across country to live with the guy that's been her best friend and she's been secretly in love with. But the moment she gets there, he's like, oh, actually, my band's going on tour. I found you a new roommate, though, so don't worry about it. And the roommate that he sets her up with is actually a male porn star, but he does, she doesn't find this out until, like, her aunt is like, uh, you, you know who that is, right? <laughs> and she's that's, like, no. That's a good twist. <laughs> it is really interesting um kind of getting like a sex worker perspective and like him 
him kind of trying to teach her to like loosen up and all that. And sure. Him also just kind of navigating his career and what he's wanting and and it was it's a it's a new book that came out in 2020 and it's, oh awesome and it's been um on a lot of lists and recommended by a lot of people so that was what I was shocked how good I thought it was <laughs> great I think yeah because I mean like I guess we shouldn't have been shocked at how good both of these are because like the one book was or the book the movie was in the Criterion collection and then. Mm-hmm this book was got this guy and you know he was the first male to be entered into this writers of america romance writers of america honor roll because of this book like we should i guess i shouldn't have been surprised these were both really good but it's always nice to be surprised or it's always nice to consume something good for this podcast because i usually don't so (laughs) well you're welcome yeah um i guess i'm gonna recommend chinatown which is not new it's from 1974 but it's got Jack Nicholson as a uh, detective who gets his nose cut by the Roman Polanski, the director of the movie, within the first, like, 20 minutes. And so for the next two hours, this, the like, the lead character of this very, like, well-known film has to wear a nose bandage. So, like, <laughs> uh, allegedly, there was going to be, like, three or four very well-known actors who were going to do this, you know, super big Hollywood movie but none of them wanted to have their faces covered like that because they looked ridiculous. And they're like, no, I'm famous and I'm good looking. I want people to see my face. And so they want to do it. And um, it is a very long movie, uh, but it is a very interesting, very slow release because you don't know what's happening and you're following uh, it around from like, it's a good film noir that's been updated and it's just uh, definitely shows you the ugly side of organized crime. So I recommend that to you. Um, Liz, uh, go ahead and plug all your good stuff that you're working on. Cool. Um, well, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's where I post most of like updates and things like that. And my handle is Zirkinator, um, <laughs> which I guess I should spell. Um, that is... Z-E-R-K-I-N-A-T-O-R um, And my two mostly ongoing pod- podcasts right now would be Dick of the Week, which is where we talk about romance novels and Defenders of the Night, where we are watching and discussing each episode of the 90s cartoon Gargoyles um, And I'm voice acting in Jane the Ripper, so if you like kind of the gritty stuff, this is a a twist on the Jack the Ripper ser- serial killer story, so it's a thriller audio drama that I voice act in. Awesome. And all these all these podcasts can be found at calamitycast.com or anywhere you get podcasts. Great. Thanks for the recommendations and the awesome plugs. Um, this has been Comparing Apples to Oranges. Uh, I'm Mike. And I'm Liz. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next month. Thanks for listening. This has been episode 58 of the podcast, and I hope you liked it. I sure like that sort of techno, sort of like, 
I think that's what disco sounds like when they try to be serious. Uh, go ahead and check out the blogger site. That's where all the archived episodes of this podcast are. If you want to check out all of Liz's good podcast stuff, all of the material and content she's got out there, I put those in our show notes today. A couple of goodies in there, too. Send any comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast uh, to me at Twitter. We got the Cato Podcast, which is all one word. C-A-T-O for Cato, and then email us at catopodcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by the great artist Leisure B. If you liked him and you want to check out any of his other stuff, go to humanworkshop.com. All right, that's it for this month. We'll see you next month. Bye.